Support for this podcast and the following message come from Dignity Memorial. When your celebration of life is prepaid today, your family is protected tomorrow. Planning ahead is truly one of the best gifts you can give your family. For additional information, visit DignityMemorial.com. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. We're having rap month here on our show. All September, we have been bringing you nothing but interviews with rappers. And this week, we're starting the show with Master P. Now, if you heard one Master P song, it is probably this one. Make him say, uh. That was a monumental hit single. Easily Master P's biggest. It sold over a million copies in 1998. It's also a posse cut. P shares verses on that track with his label mates Mystical, Mia X, and Silk the Shocker. And it's pretty unusual for a rapper's biggest hit to be a posse cut. But it's fitting for Master P. He was always more mogul than MC. An inspired businessman and talent spotter, someone with a reputation for building good rappers into great ones. His label was called No Limit Records. He founded it in 1991 when he was living in the Bay Area, but it blossomed when he moved back home to Louisiana. No Limit was home to a phalanx of stars. They were called the No Limit Soldiers. Among them were P's brothers, C. Murder and Silk the Shocker, P's son, Romeo Miller, some of New Orleans' biggest stars like Mia X and Mystical, and even for a little while, Snoop Dogg. Y'all call it chocolate, return of the top dog. It ain't no stopping this. Whatever the case, I ain't trying to catch it. Lay low, blow big dope and slang records. Unseen, but well heard, do not disturb. The only reason you alive, because I ain't sent to word. I flip faster than birds. Snoop Dogg will emerge from the smoke. In the story of Master P, there's plenty of success. Careers launch, millions of records sold. But there's also a lot of loss. Before he started rapping, he played hoops at a Division I school until an injury ended his career before it really began. Then, when he was just 20, P's brother was killed during a robbery. Just last year, his daughter died suddenly. As you'll hear in our conversation, these tragedies have challenged Master P and made him stronger. He's now a vocal advocate for mental wellness and speaks often about the power he finds in his faith. We'll talk about all that today, but before we do, let's hear another banger. This is from True, Masterpiece Group with Sea Murder and Silk the Shocker. It's called Hootie Who. I represent the third one, you a rookie, I'm a vet. You the captain, I'm the crunch. You got the dinner, I got lunch. Hit the weed, pass the blood. Your eyes red, you got the buzz. How you like me now? Go tea when I smile. Try to take me out the ghetto, but I'm still buck wild. Master P, welcome to Bullseye. I'm so happy to have you on the show. I'm glad to be here. And thank you for bringing cereal, by the way. Yeah, yeah. We got the Snoop cereal. You're the first guest, I think, in public radio here uh, history to show up with cereal in hand. 
Well, you know what? We got to market and promote our brands. This is the first black-owned cereal company. We definitely making history, me and Snoop. And, uh, man, it's a blessing because we look at breakfast food. We never got an opportunity. We always ate cereal. And growing up in poverty, to be able to own our own cereal company, to be able to sell to national distributions is incredible. And uh, me and Snoop grew up on WIC. So we used to get the free cereal. And now to be able to have cereal that we could uh, have kids from WIC eat our products, and it's cool, it tastes good, and salute the Post to uh, giving us national distribution. So I'm feeling it. I yeah, like it. appreciate it. So you grew up in New Orleans, Louisiana. You, yeah. Your mom lived in the Bay Area. Yeah. How much did you go back and forth? All the time. All the time. Just back and forth. Were you like school year with your grandmother in Louisiana and summers in the Bay? or? Yeah. Um, it was like living with my grandparents and then growing up and then my mom moving to uh, the Bay. You know, it was like having the best of both worlds. When you go back home or, or you in Richmond you know, my mom there, go back to New Orleans, my grandmother there, which is like my mom. So it was just a blessing, man, to be able to have, like, two moms. Your house was very, very full in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. It was your grandparents and yep. how many other people in your family? Well, my grandparents, too, they had 12 kids. That's 14. And me and my brother made 16 people in a three-bedroom project. Where did you sleep? On the floor. Was there a fight for the bed, or had you already guaranteed loss of all the beds? Nah, my uncles was too big. They was too big. So, you know, I was happy with being on the floor. They was older. So I just, you know, and I, I want any kids that's listening to this, I made the best out of what I had. I had a roof over my head. There's always somebody with a worse situation than you. It's a lot of people that's homeless, sleeping outside, sleeping in the streets, which the same thing we're still dealing with that today, but I was thankful to be able to live in a project, an apartment. Even though I didn't have a bed, um, it motivated me to work and go out and do what I need to do. Uh, and I said, you know what? I always thought like I'm living in a mansion. I never thought that I was living in poverty. I've always said, you know, one day I will be in a mansion. And so you, you got to have those type of dreams and goals and and beliefs. So I feel like God has something bigger for me. I always tell people, God, see what he could trust you with a little before he could trust you with a lot. So, Had you seen other things when you were a kid? I mean, like, did you go over to somebody's house that was your friend from school when you were in fourth grade and you saw they had a two-car garage or whatever? Yeah, uh... Well, I played basketball, AAU. AAU took me on the road. I was able to see a lot of stuff. And they had this one kid. I mean, he had, he lived in the house. And uh, he had video games, arcades in his house. I've never seen nothing like that. So I was like, wow, this family has to be rolling. Like, if they could do it, one day I could do it. I have a very vivid memory of when I went to... And I didn't grow up in circumstances nearly as difficult yeah. as yours, but I I grew up in the inner city, and yeah. 
I went to middle school in the suburbs. Yeah. And I, I remember so vividly the feeling of being at a friend's house and like, it wasn't that they had a pool. Like they, I, I was impressed that they had a pool. Yeah. No pools in, in my house. But it was that they had this little refrigerator with lots of different kinds of little drinks in it. Like half-size cans of 7-Up. Yeah. Yeah. Like you could have as many 7-Ups as you want. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the part that blew my mind. Nah, but you know what? It'd be the small things. It's a blessing. That's what I tell people all the time. And so, I mean, we all blessed. You know, we just got to be able to live in the situations and the conditions that we are dealt with. And that's how I look at it. Like I say, you know what? This is going to, this pain is going to go away. I'm going to make it go away. I need to do something about it. I need to have faith, but I need to work. I need to put the work in. And that's when my life started changing, when I started realizing that. How old are we talking about? I mean, I was young. Uh, maybe like seven or eight years old, I started cutting grass carrying the elderly groceries home and they started giving me little money. So I felt like I was like a little boss back in the days. And even though it wasn't a lot of money, it was a lot for me. In New Orleans, I used to carry the torch and uh, doing Mardi Gras, make me like $250. So I was doing things to uh, to better myself and I'd take money and give it to my grandmother. Uh, that made me feel good knowing that that she she didn't have to work that hard. So that was what my whole life was built on. Like, I'm going to get my grandmother house. It never was about me. I'm going to keep working hard. One day, you know, we could have nice things. So, like, those was goals that I had set as a kid, as a five-year-old kid. How is it different with your mom in, in Richmond than with your grandparents in New Orleans? It's no different. I went from one hood to another. <laughs> so... I mean, people who don't know the Bay Area. Man, Richmond is one of the most, at the time when I was there, it probably was one of the most dangerous places. Probably still is. I mean, like, I grew up next to uh, projects called Valencia Gardens in San Francisco that was, yeah. that was, could be pretty intense. And, you know, I was able to skate past it on account of, you know, no one thought but I was. But you know, not Richmond. But yeah, but I remember, like, as a teenager yeah. in Richmond being like, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. No, it's real. To be honest with you, uh, and then by me going to Mary College, catching the board, uh, going to school and being from Richmond and have to come back. So, you know, once you get on that board every day, it's a fight or something. It's like, so going back and forth from Oakland to Richmond. And you're talking about six subway stops. Or yeah. Seven yeah. subway. You're, so you're, you're not know, talking about, yeah. you know, you're not talking about, uh, uh, you're not talking about taking a commuter train nah. to, you know, nah. 40 miles. Nah, you don't know who going to get on, who going to be angry, who going to be mad. It's like, but you have to deal with it because you're trying to make it. So for me, it, it always has been a journey. You must have thought basketball was. Yeah, basketball was. I thought that was the way out for me. So were you the kind of kid that just, I, I mean, like I can imagine with 12 or 15 people in the house yeah, that there wasn't much to do inside your house yeah, <laughs> besides but, bump into people. Right. Yeah. So I am imagining you as a 12 year old just on the court all the yeah, time. Yeah. I stayed out. I stayed on the court 24 seven, learned how to shoot the basketball. I was a good shooter and that's what got me a scholarship. Then I got hurt. Then I had to go went back 
So as you mentioned, you played AAU. You were yeah. a very serious player. Yeah. You got a scholarship to the University of Houston. Right? Yeah. And you hurt yourself like almost immediately, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was it was bad. Like imagine you know you're about to make it now. And then you get hurt and you feel like you you failed everybody. You blew an ACL, is yeah. that what it was? So I went back to the projects. I mean, that is just just leaving aside what happened next. Yeah. What was it like at the moment that that happened? Did you know? I, I, was, I was just down. And to my grandfather told me, like, you need to get out and go do something. And um, I just thought, I thought. For one thing, it like hurts more than anything, yeah. right? Like it's like, yeah. from what I've heard described from people who have. Well, I mean, think about it, right? You know, uh, when people talk about mental illness, right? It's like, imagine you you never talk to anybody, but you know you on this high. You you don't have no counseling or nothing. It's just like now your whole world is taken away from you. Now you're in this dark spot. And so then you don't know if you're going to be able to play again. Did you lose your scholarship right away? Yeah. How did they tell you? Yeah. I mean— they had to give it to somebody else. We didn't have those rules that the kids have now. Like you automatically has four years. So had to start over, had to go back. And then I went to the Bay. And uh, once I rehabilitated myself, I went to junior college. But I felt like a failure. And uh, I had to figure out how to get better. We're taking a break. We'll be back in just a second. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org. And NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Teladoc Health. There are lots of reasons for wanting to be healthy family, work, living a fuller life. Teladoc Health understands whether you have diabetes, high blood pressure, or just need to manage your weight, Teladoc Health can help. Visit teladochealth.com slash what's your why for more information. That's T E L A D O C Health slash what's your why. This message comes from Apple Card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase. That's 3% on products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. If you're just joining us, my guest is Master P. He's the rapper responsible for the smash hit Make Him Say Uh, among many, many others. Lately, he has been working with the National Alliance on Mental Illness to raise awareness for mental health. Oh, and he also has a line of breakfast cereals with Snoop Dogg. Let's get back into my conversation with Master P. Did you rap as a kid or as a teenager? You know, I grew up listening to like Run DMC and all those, you know, artists that that came before me. You're of the generation where you can remember when rap hit the radio. Like, yeah, that's what you it, were just old enough yeah, to be and, paying attention. And that that's what it was for me. Uh, you know, you, you say little stuff, but you don't know that one day you're gonna be into this. So when you talk about fifty years of hip hop, I mean, it came a long way. I didn't, I didn't think. Hip hop wouldn't even be around this long. You know, they always say like it's it's gonna be about three, five years and hip hop gonna be over. 
And, uh, you know, that was my song, the Run DMC, My Adidas. And, I mean, that's what I really remember from hip-hop, like, was my way, my journey. But now I really wasn't, I wasn't into it like that. I'm more like a DJ for my grandmother when they when they have suppers. You know, we do the little $15 suppers. My grandmother fried fish and stuff for the people in the community. That's how she made her money. And then she'll tell me, baby, go put the music on for my friends. Be the DJ for the night. So I'll go, you know, putting Al Green on, putting all this stuff on, Marvin Gaye. And I think that's what really got me into the to the music where I had an ear for, like, just good music. When you were, you know, 20 years old or whatever, yeah. did you have the confidence to walk up to somebody and say, like, yeah, I'm a rapper? You know, I did because I believed in who I turned out to be. And um, I wasn't that good. Think about it. Um, I live in the Bay. I'm from the South. So I sound country. But I'm in a Bay Area with all this lingo, E-40, Too Short, a Spice One, Two Pot. It was just a different game. You had Rapping Forte, RBL Posse, JT, the bigger figure. These guys was mega stores then. And I'm, you know, EA Ski probably was one of the biggest producers. I was doing music with K. Lou in Richmond, but... That was going good for me, but it was still country. I'll go to to Camiel. The People Station. And try to get my records played, but it was like, yeah, this ain't it. So you got to feel sometimes. So anybody listen to this, No Limit just didn't take off. Master P didn't just take off. Uh, I was like the eyeball, like, nah, this don't work. I want to take it a couple years earlier. When was the first time that you heard records that, you identified with in the sense that like this is somebody from a place like where I'm from, whether it's people from the Bay, people from the South. I, I think it was Ice T Colors. So I grew up listening to that riding in the hood and uh, that record Colors, you know, and being able to see that on the movie and hear that, that was through every hood Colors. But that's such an L.A. record. I know, but it was it was big in the South. What made you think that you could do it from New Orleans or even from because or, when or I start looking Richmond? at when I start looking at I start saying that Ice T a guy from the streets, and you could sense back then that the music was real. You could sense that he was living like that, like you just felt it. And uh, yeah, I, I'm like, man, if this guy could make it. You know, he got to be from some gang or from some hood or whatever. I'm like, man, I'll be able to tell my story. And then I start getting into, as I got, you know, time moved by, you start really listening to, like, NWA, Easy e Ice Cube. Yeah, I start realizing, like, man, these guys, you know, been through some tough situations. And then listening to everything from Houston, from the Ghetto Boys to the, mind playing tricks on you and it's like man these guys going through and they living and they able to you know make something better for themselves and be from the south uncle luke 
uh, listening to Uncle Luke and man, the two live crew back then, it it, it was a lot of energy. So now you're hearing all this different type of music and it start being inspiring that if these guys made it, then I could make it. I mean, it seems fortuitous, lucky that you happened to hit the Bay at a yeah. time where a, there were some huge national artists, yeah. right? You mentioned Tupac, who got his start in Digital Underground. Yeah. Of course, Hammer was really yeah. huge. But also an exploding scene of independent hip-hop. And like, you know, I have a friend who moved from, he's from New Jersey. He moved to the Bay Area. I mm-hmm. asked him one time, what do you think about the Bay and living there? And he's like, man... Everybody's got a t-shirt company. <laughs> and it's like, what he means is that there was this like long-standing spirit of just do it yourself. Yeah. Just do nah, it yourself. Don't sit around and wait. Uh, I learned it from St. Charles, E-40 uncle. Yeah. So St. Charles was the goat, man. He he had been a gospel singer. Yeah. <laughs> but he really knew the record business. He knew the record business and he knew I went from St. Charles and we took our records to, to walk that city hall. Man, don't be afraid to learn from other people that has the experience and the wisdom because, you know, that's where I got my game from. I got my game from the OGs. So listening, not being afraid to to listen and not be a know-it-all. I think a lot of people in this generation, they, they feel like they have to know everything you don't. You have to take advice from the right people. You have to take it in and make the right decisions in charts. And I think that's what I was able to do. Because I even today, I'm still trying to find out information. I'm still seeking knowledge and information. It's not just about me. And I think that's the difference with me. You just picked an a anime toy off my colleague's desk and asked me who made it. This yeah. is the second thing you said. <laughs> yeah. When you walked in Yeah, here. because think about it, right? I'm working on all these projects where I'm creating this world now. So this world that I'm creating right now is, is the same way Star Wars was created. All these things was created. So you got to, you know, learn from other people. Watch what you want to know, what people buy and why they buy this. You know, how these things are made. And you learned that firsthand in the record business because it. when you started making, when you started making, well, are we talking about tapes or CDs at this point? Yeah. Probably, probably some of each. Yeah, both. You were walking them into... Record stores. Yeah. I'm I'm going to Rainbow Records, getting my product made up, putting this product in my own store. I created my own store. That's how I was able to meet all these guys coming through. And that's how I was able to to meet artists. Then I learned the business from there. So I learned the business from a retail perspective. So then I'm out selling my CDs and cassettes out the trunk of my car. I'm meeting producers, uh, being from Richmond. And and going to Oakland, meeting EA Ski. Now my music game is getting up. So I just think that people don't realize, like I, we talked about earlier, that knowledge and information is just like we don't think we could do it on our own. But in the Bay, we was taught you go out there and hustle, you grind, and make it on your own. Don't sit around and wait for them. Now, you mentioned being country in the Bay, and I think yeah. that's— I think that matters because, sure, you spent a lot of your childhood in the Bay Area because your mom lived there. But 
nobody was going to mistake you for a guy from, no. I mean, you're sitting across from me. People can hear you on the radio. Yeah. They can tell that you're from Louisiana, right? Yeah. And so people know that you're not JT the Bigger Figure yeah. or Rap and Foe or whatever, right? You're like a space alien in this scene because yeah. everybody yeah. is from, you know, the world stretches from, you know, <laughs> from Hunter's Point out to Vallejo yeah. to Richmond. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's a stretch beyond that into Northern California and eventually across the country. But like this was a small world and you were from outside of nah, it. it was it was different because, you know, my girl was from Hunter's Point. So I got to go over there to see her, and they like, oh, tell that Richmond dude not to come over here. I'm like, man, I'm from New Orleans. <laughs> so it was like, it was. I tried that in my neighborhood. They were not having it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I gave it a shot. It though. was it was different, though. You know, um, even though I was different, I'm because think about it, I had, back then I had dreads, all that. Now everybody in the Bay got dreads. Everybody got gold teeth. I had gold teeth. I just stood out and now everybody there got gold teeth. So it, it, it go to show you how it changed. You just got to keep doing what you got to do. And um, I, I love my time because it built my character, even getting turned down, uh, even when people didn't like me. That made me work harder. So I, I never took it personal. I just think the Bay pushed me. That's what I love about the Bay because for me to be from where I come from, and the way I sound and was able to eventually sell records in the Bay, that let me know that I, that's almost like a, being an athlete. You don't put some serious work in. So you got to imagine I'm on San Pablo. I'm, I'm up MacArthur. I'm all in Oakland, East Oakland. I'm going to Vallejo. I'm everywhere. I'm in every hood. When I went to make songs with JT, the bigger figure, I'm I'm in his hood in the projects where he was living at. So it's like I know I had to touch the people. So one thing people knew that they knew that I'm in every hood in the Bay. So that was a difference. They know I'm in every hood, even though I might have a Saints football jacket on with a black beanie. And they, they knew I wasn't from, but I still respected the Bay. And they respected me. And that's, I think that's the difference. I wasn't like trying to be something that I wasn't. I wasn't trying to be like, oh, I'm not from somewhere else. You know, I live in Richmond. Uh, I grew up in the Bay. I'm from New Orleans. So they knew my accent was different. I didn't try to be like, oh, I was born here. I think that was the difference. And we just bonded. And that's, uh, I think, like listening back to your records, preparing for this interview, one of the things that I noticed, and you put out a lot of records before you were nationally famous. Yeah. One of the things that I noticed is that as the records go on, yep. you become more and more different. Yeah. Like yeah. at the beginning, yeah. you're not that distinct. Yeah. Like, you know, you're making mob music records. Yeah. Sometimes you sound kind of like Scarface. Yeah. I'm going big time. Big time. Cause a brother like me, I got to get my damn. Take it down my door, they got a win. Baba pulled me over, but my registration coin. Every time they try to get me, I'm legit. I'm never slipping. Got a female like a trust, but the girl is always tripping. And as the music goes on, as you get closer and closer to that, you know. Uh, well, I had to find myself. So think about it. When I was making mob music, that was the sound. That was the producer. That's what I was telling you. 
Yeah. The producers I was around with K. Lou and the, the the producers that was in Richmond around me, that's what they was making. So I had to rap on it and I was rapping with other people. You know, I still wasn't being myself yet. And mom music was like street rap in the Bay Area in the early yeah. to mid 1990s. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Seabows, all those, like that, that's, that was the sound. The Delinquents, 415, you know, <laughs> you know, that, that was the sound. But you could see once I started getting with EA Ski, I started growing. I was able to, you know, make some of the music that that was more me. And then when I started getting some of the guys from the South to come back out to the Bay with me, then I was starting to sound more and more like myself. Like I didn't, I didn't have, so, you know, don't be afraid to find who you are. So that's why I say about the journey. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm more in tune to the journey, not the success or how much I'm going to make or how big I'm going to be. It was always practicing to get better. So whatever I'm doing, I'm practicing to get better. And I learned that from sports to where you could always get better. I mean, not a lot of musicians get the chance to do that past 18. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, not that people don't hone their chops, yeah. but like, especially in hip hop and especially then, you know, you got a record deal when you were 17 or yeah. 19 yeah. and you got to make a record. Yeah. And if that didn't work, it's over. that's it. Yeah. That's the end. And I think the fact that you were making your own records. Yeah, you could go. Meant that you got five years, yeah. seven yeah. years yeah. to find, figure out who you were. And it was a blessing. To be honest with you, uh, I tell people preparation is key. Because imagine if I had made it then and I wasn't prepared, I would never be who I am today. I just would have had a hit song, came, went away, and back to the hood. Because back then, a lot of artists were still in the hood making music that had platinum albums. And uh, I seen it for myself. I'm like, man, what, if this person selling all these records, why are they still in the hood? And that's what I that's what I was able to learn in the Bears. Like, well, you could do it on your own. <laughs> they only going to give you 200 or 150 and you want to sign your life away. We could make that selling CDs of the trunk out of court. And I'm, I'm blessed to be able to experience that in the Yay area, the Bay area, you know, so. You also, at that time in your life, lost one of your brothers. Yeah. How old were you when that happened? And I was young. I lost my brother, like, 19. So... I mean, that must have been an incredibly dark time in your life because yeah. that's also when you are when you got hurt and had yeah. to drop out of school. Yeah, so I was going through it. And uh, it was like, you just never know. I took that pain and I think it really got me into the music industry to where I wanted to uh, make his name live on. So I had to start figuring out how to do something right. You know, so that's when I start really coming up with the mama's bad boys and all that stuff, saying that, you know, mama, I don't want to see you cry. I don't want you to feel this pain no more because I watched it. Like, that really hurt my mama. 
as bad as it hurted me. It hurt my mama to watch her go through that to lose a kid. And I decided I, I need to change my life and I'm really going to start dedicating to this music and do something positive with my life. So I was replacing the negative with, with the positive. Did you have people to talk to about it? Nobody. I just had to deal with it, man. That's what I'm saying. Like, we talk about mental illness. A lot of kids from the ghetto go through a lot of things, and that's why I'm an advocate for NAMI now, where I get out here and uh, try to interact, communicate, help other families, help other kids to be able to heal. And, you know, we're not just calling it mental illness no more. We're calling it mental strength. Because you got to be strong to get past this. And a lot, a lot of kids don't get counseling. They don't get medicine. A lot of kids self-medicate. So that's why we're losing so many kids young because they're dealing with situations and they self-medicate. And they're using drugs to ease the pain. And so me being able to tell my story and get out there and touch people, that's what this is about for me. Uh, where I'm at now as a man, it's not about how much money you make. I feel like my life, God has spared my life to where now the most important job for me is to be a servant, to be able to serve other people. And, and that's what my life is about. We've got so much more to get into with Master P. When we come back from a break, we will talk about how he has found peace and strength in prayer. It's Bullseye from MaximumFun.org and NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Prime Video. Find your favorite shows like Reacher Season 2. Rent or buy new release movies like Hunger Games, The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Get everything included with Prime and add on hundreds of streamers like Max for True Detective Night Country. One app, one password, Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership not required to rent or buy. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. This message comes from NPR sponsor Stamps.com. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting, no long-term commitments or contracts. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. Hi, uh, this is Lori Kilmartin. And I'm Jackie Cation. And we have a podcast called The Jackie and Lori Show on Max Fun, and it's very exciting because what do we talk about? Comedy. Stand-up comedy. We both do stand-up comedy and have since the dawn of well, Christ. Well, Jackie. Is that offensive? It is offensive to me because you've aged me. <laughs> uh, we started in the late 80s, and we're still here. You can't kill us. So go to The Jackie and Lori Show on Max Fun and listen to that. Jackie and Lori Show. New episodes Monday, only on MaximumFun.org. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. I'm talking with Master P. He's the platinum-selling rapper and the founder of No Limit Records. When did you decide that your music career was going to be in New Orleans and not in the Bay? Uh, when I started going back 
to New Orleans with Mayor X and KLC and them, uh, I just thought feeling like this was the thing for me. It's almost like taking a circle in a square and try to put it as like this working a little bit here, but here, this is me. I could be, I could totally be myself. So when I started really just going back home, listening to the music, to the culture, and getting some of the beats from KLC, I started realizing this worked for me. It, it was a different body, body, and songs like that. It it was just, it was me. I represent. It was me. It just, it worked. I didn't have to force it. I didn't have, you know, because me, music is a feeling. I don't write. It just come to me. And uh, everything that I was getting from KL, uh, it was just, it was working. So I'm like, this is where I need to be at. And Mix was on me. You need to be. You need to be in New Orleans. You know this is, and it's like it. It, it, it worked. It was. It, she was right. Did you immediately think my business is not just Master P? My business is something much broader than that. Yeah, I knew this was bigger than me. That's why I named myself Master P. That's why I called my company No Limit. It's going to be no limit to my success, and I'm a master whatever I do. Because, P, like, you made some great records, and you're a talented rapper. Yeah. But you had more talented rappers working with you. Yeah. And, oh. like, I think your greatest gift was to find ways for other people to succeed. Oh, yeah. No, I, I mean... If you're going to be a boss, you got to find other bosses. Imagine if you're talented, but you find more people talented than you. That means you're not selfish. I think that's the reason God keep blessing me, because I was able to put others on. Uh, I had an ear for, for talent. I had an ear for music. And, uh, and give other people opportunities to where they could feed their families. They could make it out. I think that's been my greatest strength to be able to say, man, look, you know, I'm making millions, but look all these other millionaires I done created. That's what you call a boss. And now these people can one day feed me or help me or help somebody else. I'm like, but that's how you pay it forward. And I think that that was my greatest strength, knowing that it's not just about me and this is bigger than music. The music is what's going to open the doors for us, but whatever we come up with after this, it's going to be bigger. And I feel like the music for me, why I'm into the product stuff now, even though I always say product, don't talk back, but um, I'm into the product stuff because I realized that the music could stop any day. You're going to get older. Your time going to come. You talked about the way that losing your brother changed your life. Yeah. And I can only imagine what that was like at age 19. You, you lost one of your children not that long ago yeah. to an overdose. Yeah. I feel like some great part of your 
drive in your life came from the idea that you could escape that kind of tragedy, like leave it behind you. Yeah, and it's it's tough, man, as a parent, because the world is so easy now to get whatever you want. And uh, losing a brother ripped my heart out. Losing a child, it tears your soul apart. And um, knowing that, but it's it's churches for everybody. Like, and that's why I advocate for NAMI to to be able to teach other families, be able to see through this mental illness and talk to and communicate because things could be happening right in front of you that you don't know because you think everything is just going to be okay because it's normally supposed to be. Uh, but when you look at fentanyl, you look at these drugs, it could kill you instantly. And a childhood friend of mine yeah. overdosed about four or five years so, ago So, in similar circumstances. But the thing is, the way I pick it back up is I can't sleep till I go out and help and save other people because you can't do nothing once we're gone. And you have to learn how to to pray. I, I learned how to pray more and and now pay more attention to these kids and, and watch because, you know, back in our time, you could smell the drugs. Can't smell it now. So, yeah, I mean, that's where I'm going at. And, and for my daughter, she's my parachute. I've been her parachute. So now it what keeps me going. Say, you know what? Now go even harder. We're going to even create more products. We're going to help more families. Uh, and we're going to be able to tackle uh, mental strength in her name. And, uh, those are things that keep me going, man. I can't sit around and just do nothing. I got to do something about this. And and that's what I'm doing. You had so many traumas in your life. Yeah. Have you been able to find ways or places to slow down and have peace? Yeah, you know what? I mean, peace is what everybody live for and work for. And happiness comes within you. Uh, so knowing God and knowing that everything is a test and uh, no, knowing that I have God, man, that's what keeps me going. Like that's that's my peace. When you put him first and uh, you don't worry about whatever he put you through, you just got to, you got to keep moving and you, you know that everything is a season and uh, yeah, when you, when, when you know that word, you know, it's not about you anymore. That's why I told you, you know, my life is being a servant. But, you know, every, everybody's accountable for them. I'm accountable for myself that I find peace, that I do the right thing. Because if I do the wrong thing, I won't be here. I mean, I grew up going to AA meetings with, yeah. my, with my late father. Yeah. And, like, I'm not personally a believer, but one of the things that I find most moving about that is— the idea of accepting a higher power yeah, and whether that's, you know, it, for many people, it might be Christian God, but it's really about the. Well, me, bro, I'm going to just tell you like this for me. I know it's a God might be a reason why we communicating right now. Without God, I wouldn't be here. So if, without God, I couldn't get you none of the stuff that I'm able to just keep going. And I'm definitely a person that that will be praying for you that hopefully one day you will understand that. And uh but I certainly understand what prayer could mean for example. Yeah. 
You yeah. know, it's an opportunity to accept your place in the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time, and I very sincerely appreciate yeah. your prayers. Thank you. Thank you. Master P, as you heard in our interview, Master P came to our office with breakfast cereal in hand. To see a photo of me, Master P, and a bunch of cereal boxes, find us on Instagram, at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is created from the homes of me and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. I just made an appointment to get an updated COVID shot and a flu shot for this autumn. I hope you will go and do the same and help protect yourself and everyone around you. Our show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Our producers are Jesus Ambrosio and Richard Roby. Our production fellow at Maximum Fun is Brianna Paz. We get booking help from Mara Davis. And hey, if you're in Los Angeles or environs, here's some cool news. We are joining LAist 89.3. We are so thrilled to be back on the air in our hometown of Los Angeles. Thanks, LAist. Our interstitial music is by DJW, also known as Dan Wally. Dan remixed the latest EP from the Baltimore hardcore band Turnstile and has been posting clips on his Instagram of the samples he used for the remix. Check out the instrumentals on his Bandcamp. Just go to Bandcamp and search for DJW Sounds. Our theme song is called Huddle Formation, written and recorded by the Go team, thanks to them and to their label Memphis Industries. And Bullseye is on Instagram. I hope you will take a look for us there. You can see pictures from behind the scenes and clips from upcoming stuff and all all kinds of fun stuff. We're on IG at Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. You can also find us on Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Capital One. Capital One offers checking accounts with no fees or minimums and no overdraft fees. That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC.